One, welcome everybody. We are live from Torchlit Rally Illuminated Berlin. Uh, what we could possibly call, I don't know, were they goose stepping, CJ, at this rally? I think they were I don't think, goose stepping. No, I don't I don't think they went that far, Max. They weren't tech, they weren't actually goose stepping. Just okay, the well, torches and the uniforms and the whole reef and you know, aesthetic. Nice, nice. Uh, I re I recognized it all from from somewhere, uh, except it was it was colorized. I seriously was wondering if this Marshall rally was uh, like a one of those Turner film colorized versions of Triumph of the Will. In any case, uh, welcome to Foreign Agents, everybody. Um, sorry, we're just a little bit running a little bit late here, but we'll just try to go late. And uh, CJ is a return guest. He is the uh, a senior fellow at the Consent Factory, which is a notoriously shady think tank based in Berlin. And he is the author of a, a book that really uh, predicted, I, I don't know, could you call it a future history book, an inadvertent science fiction book or a science nonfiction novel, Zone 23, uh, which I've been reading. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you went far enough to just describe the current reality but welcome back cj i guess you've been a busy man recently uh, chronicling the latest news from germany and uh, I, I think i should just toss it to you what's happening over there in germany and how does it affect you and people like you who have defied the semi-official ideology yeah well I, I think the easiest way to say it is, uh, you know, just so I'm I'm not vaccinated, right? So uh, that's that's a new regulation. Is is the unvaccinated are pretty much banned from society at this point? The uh, untervaccinated. So, uh, sorry. The untervaccinated. <laughs> no, the, it's the ungeimpfte. Yeah, and uh, uh, we're we're just banned from society. Basically, I'm, you know, uh, we're not allowed to go into, uh, you know, restaurants, uh, bars, uh, uh, you know, cafes, uh, stores. Uh, we can, we're still allowed to buy food, which is nice. Um, we can go into a grocery store and buy food as long as we're wearing, you know, a medical looking mask. Um, we don't have to wear, you know, the the, the little symbols yet. I'm, I'm going to prepare my little red, you know, political dissident symbol uh, to wear. Uh, but as long as we're wearing a medical looking mask, we can still go into a grocery store and buy food. But that's the only store um, that we're allowed to go into other than pharmacies. Also, we were allowed to go into pharmacies. Um, we're banned from cultural events, uh, banned from pretty much all of public life. Uh, we're banned from travel, uh, even banned from the public transportation system. We can't ride the trains, can't ride the buses. Um, we're pretty much under house arrest, except that, you know, we're allowed to go outside and walk around. Uh, you know, so I can go out and take a walk alongside the canal and get some exercise in the yard, so to speak. Um, but other than that, we're we're banned from society. That's that's it. And, and, and what is the rationale for this? I mean, we just published a piece at the Gray Zone on the not only the social and economic harm that lockdowns did, especially to people who were poor in the global north and the majority in the global south, but we also addressed the kind of medically, the medically useless or dubious nature of lockdowns. And now that they've returned, there's 
they're, they're being marketed in a different way. I mean, to me, it feels punitive. Is that, is that how, is that correct? I mean, is that the, yes. is that, yeah, go ahead. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, and it was stated as such uh, by, you know, German politicians and other people as well. Um, I mean, there is a pseudo medical rationale for it. Um, I, you know, according to the official narrative, if, you know, if one takes it at, at face value, which I don't, but according to the uh, official narrative, we are slightly more uh, liable to infect other people. I forget what the studies show. It's, I don't know, 11 or 13% more likely than the, than the quote unquote vaccinated are who can also infect other people. Um, so it, it's ridiculous. And uh, a lot of the German authorities were very clear uh, that it was a purely punitive measure. And it's a measure that is meant to coerce us and pressure us into following orders and getting vaccinated and installing the little, you know, compliance certificates in our mobile phones. And I don't even have a mobile phone, um, but it's it's meant to coerce uh, uh, compliance and obedience. Right, and and, and is there uh, is is there some health emergency there? I mean, we know that cases <clears throat> are rising. Uh, Germany, it seems to have a fairly high vaccination uptake rate. So I mean, what what is the medical rationale? I mean, besides the fact that you are 11% more dangerous and dirtier and unclean than the, uh, the vaccinated. There, there is no med medical rationale, Max, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's the, the, the absurdity that I just recited for you is is the pseudo medical uh, rationale for it um, the the vaccination rate actually isn't uh, uh, that high in Germany I think the last time I checked it was like 68 percent or something right now, right well, now, sorry to interrupt oh. but fauci here said we needed to get to 50 or 60 percent uh, before we could start talking to get to herd immunity and then it just kept going up so yeah Exactly. And and also, you know, this is this keeping in mind the ever changing definition of, quote unquote, vaccinated. Right. Uh, right? You know, at, 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 apparently, you know, you, in the 14 days after you get injected, you're not technically vaccinated. Right. And then and then six months or so after your your vaccination, you are, again, no longer, quote unquote, vaccinated. You're one of the unvaccinated again until you get your booster. You know, so let's let's keep that in mind. But but yeah, sixty eight percent. The the new normal German authorities are are really dissatisfied with that. Um, they they want complete compliance. Um, there's no medical rationale for it. You know, you know, the cases. You mentioned cases. We're doing the whole case thing again. Um, the PCR this testing is, is this is astounding. Lots of asymptomatic cases. These are perfectly, you know, let's let's just be clear about what we're talking about. You know, a case is somebody who has been tested with a PCR test that may have, may or may not have been jacked up to 40 or 45 cycles, you know, at which point uh, the results are, are pretty much meaningless. And in any event, in, in the vast majority of cases, these are these are either perfectly healthy people. Right. Perfectly healthy people who have no illness, no symptoms whatsoever, or there are people who have a mild cold, you know, or in some cases they have a, you know, a pretty bad cold, you know. Um, but the, the whole idea, yes, the propagandists are, are just beating the drum of cases, 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 and cases are exploding. 
uh, but it's just really important to keep in mind how utterly meaningless medically and scientifically this this idea of cases is. Yeah, let's, uh, I mean, since, since you brought up the PCR test in cases, which are driving this lockdown of the unvaccinated in Germany, I think two points are important to mention here. First, that Christian Drosten was the pioneer of the PCR test as implemented to test for the novel corona for coronavirus. And his paper, um, I'll throw it up on screen, was not peer reviewed and was here it is researchers developed first diagnostic test for novel coronavirus in China. So this was in January, uh, right when uh, we started to see what what was known came to be known as COVID-19 in Wuhan um, when the first tests were first uh, cases were detected. And it was Christian Drosten, who uh, is the director of the Institute of Virology at uh, Charity Mitte, I guess right there in Berlin. Uh, yes. And he, he sort of is one of the major virologists who's been pushing the agenda in Germany, kind of driving the agenda in the same way Neil Ferguson did with his modeling. Um, and he's been proven wrong. I mean, he's exaggerated the death toll enormously, but this paper he put together in 48 hours and then it was accepted, I think, by the World Health Organization and has been implemented worldwide. Um, and, and I just want to play one more clip and then I'll ask you about all this. Um, although, you know, it, it's, it's, it's maybe it's I, I think it's a little bit of a uh, diversion. I think it's important to, to do. This is Kerry Mullis, who invented the PCR test in 1983. He won a Nobel Prize in 1995 or six for the invention of the PCR test, which revolutionized uh, diagnosis, allowing uh, the diagnosis of HIV, as well as the whole crime scene investigation, which uh, incorporated DNA. And what the PCR test does is it amplifies narrow strands of DNA in order to detect uh, whatever you're looking for, but it does it through, by amplifying through cycles of temperature change. So if you amplify a PCR test uh, for coronavirus to like 40 cycles, you can pretty much pick up everything. But here's what Kerry Mullis had to say when asked about whether the PCR test could be used for infectious diseases. PCR to estimate uh, all these so supposed three viral RNAs that may or may not be there. I think misused PCR is not quite... I don't think you can misuse PCR. Now, the results, the interpretation of it. See, if you if you if you can say, if if, if they wanted, if, if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to a, to something that you can really measure which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have, at least one single one of them in your body, okay? So that could be thought of as a misuse of it, just to, to claim that it's meaningful. So, yeah, I mean, he's pretty much saying you can detect just about anything. Uh, but first of all, you know, who is Christian Drosten? What role has he played? 
in Germany in sort of the German public health biomedical world? Um, you, you, you described it perfectly, uh, Max. You know, I haven't dug into the guy's, uh, you know, uh, uh, CV extensively, but uh, basically he's the, you know, the, the big shot there at Charité and Charité is the, you know, the leading hospital. It's the flagship um, hospital, most respected hospital in Berlin. Um, and uh, you, you described it perfectly. Uh, he's, he's, he's basically the, the COVID czar. <laughs> I mean, and what kind of what 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 kind of um, messaging are you getting in the media? I mean, we 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 often will see on your Twitter account some of the demonization of the unvaccinated. But what kind of messaging are you getting to amp up the fear factor? I mean, I know every government, at least in the major Western countries, has a kind of nudge unit of behavioral psychologists that incorporate techniques to manipulate the public into a kind of behavior that they consider uh, necessary to preserve public health. What kind of public messaging are you getting these days uh, to, 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 to manufacture consent for this policy, which really seems kind of extreme from the outside? It's a little bit, you know, in, in Germany today, it's a little bit more advanced than that, uh, Max. They don't um, they don't really need to manufacture consent very much anymore, you know, for, you know, manufacture compliance with the system. Unfortunately, that has been incredibly successful. And the vast majority of German society is, you know, they have clicked heels and they are completely on board with the official narrative. Um, so, you know, people aren't really, the strength of the official narrative is overwhelming. Um, and they're really more focused on, you know, demonizing anyone who you know, deviates from that official narrative at all. Um, it's it's uh, a lot of the yes, they're pumping out the usual you know, fear propaganda, uh, but most of it is aimed at demonizing the unvaccinated, as if we were some sort of you know. Uh, horrible, contagious threat, um, and and we're basically being scapegoated and uh, blamed for the imaginary uh, disastrous situation that they're projecting. Um, so it isn't it isn't really like it was during the first year uh, when they were trying to when they were really trying to sell the you know the so called science of it. It's right, right. much more now forced. Uh, it's much more concentrated on forcing compliance and and demonizing any any deviation from the narrative. Here's a photo that uh, you published on Twitter. Uh, welcome to the new normal Germany. The shop window in the photo on the left reads unvaccinated welcome. And you liken it to Germany in the 1930s. Unvaccinated, unvaccinated, yeah, un unwelcome. Un unwelcome, sorry. Yeah. Unerwünscht. Uh, and you likened this to 1930s Germany. That's something that people would say is extreme. And, uh, you know, it's a choice to be well, unvaccinated. So, well, I didn't, I didn't liken it. Do you have the other photo? I didn't yeah, liken yeah. it. Yeah. I just put it next to another photo from the 1930s. There we go. Juden sind hier unerwünscht. So that is Jews unwelcome. Yes. Yeah. So what what is it? I mean, let, let let's just put aside that 
you know, people say this is extreme rhetoric that you're using to compare this to the Holocaust and so on. Um, why don't the German, why doesn't the German mainstream find this a little uncomfortable? I mean, why do they feel so comfortable using this kind of rhetoric, which does contain at least faint echoes of the fascist past? Not not just faint echoes, Max. And let me make one a really. I'm trying important. to be understated, but <laughs> yeah, I know. Let me let me make one really important uh, point because I get this, you know, all the time on uh, from from my critics and what have you. Um, I'm you know I'm not comparing new normal totalitarianism to the Holocaust, right? And it frustrates me a little bit that people, you know, a lot of Americans, but not just Americans. Uh, reduce the entire history of Nazi Germany to the Holocaust, right? The, the history of Nazi Germany is the history of, a, of the birth and rise of a totalitarian movement, right? Part of that history is the Holocaust, and it is huge, and it, you know, it's important. But the entirety of the history of Nazi Germany and that form of totalitarianism is not reducible to the Holocaust, right? So that's point number one. Point number two is that window. That's that that what what that fellow wrote on the store window. What's what's important about that? This is this is rhetoric. This is language straight out of 1930s Nazi Germany. And what's important about it is that this guy felt like it would be an okay thing to do. This guy felt he didn't think twice, didn't, you know, wasn't worried about it. He painted this on the, you know, display window of his store. You know, why, why did he feel like that was something that, that, that he could do? It's because he has been empowered and encouraged yeah, to demonize, to demonize the unvaccinated, to demonize anyone that is that is questioning, that is challenging the official narrative. Anyone who isn't, you know, clicking heels and following orders, and the German government has done this demonization. The German state and corporate media have demonized us, and the result of it is on that guy's window, right? You may have another example. I don't want to, you know, steal your thunder, but there was, uh, you know, an author and uh, and uh, a ZDF commentator. Uh, uh, I don't want to jump the gun, Max. Do you have that one loaded? I don't. If you want to DM it to me, um, well, I, I, I yeah, know what you're talking about. I just don't have it. Mike, I can I can just explain it. You know, my my well, keyboard's I'll, 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 pull, I'll pull it up, and you you go ahead and uh, explain Let it. Me, and I'll let me just explain. This is an author. This this is just something. And again, this is just another example. It's just one example, you know. But this is an author, and and a commentator for one of the big uh, state TV channels, CDF, right? And she, I think, went on air and definitely went on Twitter, and was basically saying, okay, this whole you know vaccination, mandatory vaccination issue, and everything. This is you know people are complaining that this is tearing society apart, you know, and it is tearing society apart. She says, you know, but let's look at the reality of it. It's not tearing the middle of society apart. It's not tearing us apart, right? It's what, if anyone is going to be shut out of society, it is going to be these people, there you go, you got it, is going to be these people down and on the right, 
right? And by that, because in Germany now, anyone who is unvaccinated or anyone who challenges the official narrative, we're all demonized as, you know, neo-Nazis, Nazi sympathizers, and, you know, we're anti-Semites and just every filthy thing that you can think of is what we're being called. And what she's saying what she's saying is, okay, so if society is, you know, is being torn apart, maybe it's not so bad because the people that are going to be shut out of society are all these, you know, horrible people down on the right. And they're kind of like an appendix in your body, right? And it, and an appendix is not essential, you know, to life, right? It turns out it turns out, and maybe you've got the other image as well, you know, she's borrowing literally from the rhetoric yeah, of Nazi, of a Nazi SS doctor who, you know, making the exact same analogy, you know, it's like the Jews are like an appendix, you know, that we need to cut out of society. People are not, they're not, in Germany for the longest time, and certainly all the time that I've been here, people have been hyper aware of, you know, never ever repeating the past. And now they have been given license. They have been given license to demonize those of us who are not conforming, you know, and dehumanize us. And they're doing it with just textbook Nazi rhetoric. So it's really, really disturbing, Max. I can't hear you at all. I don't know if you folks can. Oh, sorry. I uh, I had myself muted. Um, I think the word for appendix was, was blindarm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. This is the same word used between by her as a reference to, I guess, the unvaccinated or those who are protesting official policy and this uh, Nazi ideologue referring to the Juden. It's not just the word. It's not just the word. It's the whole analogy. It's the right whole... the analogy, but to to reduce a an entire group of people to a body part which is considered superfluous and can explode and poison the entire body unless it's cut out sure. has uh, serious implications. I, you know, we've heard this. I, I, we've heard this in 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 Canada from, you know, even people in, in the NDP, but basically supporters of Trudeau. And uh, yeah, I, I tweeted video a few months ago of Jesse Brown as this popular podcast host in Canada who just, uh, and he's an NDP kind of center left guy, uh, openly, the, the podcast is called Canada Land, openly stating that he wished the unvaccinated would just die. He was, he's like, I don't want them to die, but it would be better if they just died. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of jokey. But he meant it in a way, and that's that's the atmosphere. And what I what I think you touched on that's essential in understanding that kind of eliminationist standpoint is the conflation or equation of unvaccinated people or people who might even be vaccinated who go out and protest official COVID policy, COVID all the restrictions with the far right. And I think this goes to your critique of the war on populism. Maybe you could uh, extend that critique to the current moment in Germany and this fascistic rhetoric that we're often seeing from the center and center left. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will. Uh, but let me say up front, you know, what, what they're doing, um, uh, you know, of course, there is a far right element, you know, way back yeah. when, way back when I was at the first big, you know, demo when the, you know, they had the whole, you know, storming of the Reichstag, false flag nonsense, and the whole bit. And, you know, let's just, you know, be clear, there is a far right element that has been out there at the demos and the far right have been protesting this. Um, and that is true. Just like when I was out in the streets of New York, and you probably were too in 2003, you know, protesting before the, inv the US invasion of Iraq, you know, guess what? There were anti-Semites out in that crowd too. And there were all kinds of ideologues that I, you know, I don't want to have dinner with that were all in that crowd too. But what the, the government and the media are doing is they're erasing the vast majority of people who are just regular people, you know, who don't want to live in a biomedical dystopia. They're erasing all of us and they're using this far right element you know, to represent uh, all of the opposition. Uh, to the COVID policies, and they have been doing it from the beginning. In in Germany, it's particularly effective um, because n the last thing that anyone you know who is halfway prominent or even just or not prominent at all, just a regular person, the last thing anyone wants to be called here is an anti-Semite or a Nazi, and they began doing that you know, day one as soon as opposition was voiced against this narrative, as soon as people started questioning and challenging, they started calling us anti-Semites, they started calling us Nazi sympathizers, um, and it's it's disgusting. It's the same thing if I, you ask me to connect it, and I yeah. will connect it. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's something, history got, things happen so fast, Max, I think people forget. Uh, very easily, but I tracked the entire, you know, Trump uh, uh, term. I, I tracked the, the, you know, from the rise of Trump and the entire reaction of the global capitalist machine to this unauthorized president, right? And what a lot of people forget now is the first thing, the first thing they did is they rolled out Russiagate, right? And they beat on Russiagate for, what was it, two years. And then Russiagate fell apart. Yeah, it dissolved. And they had that, you know, the New York Times had that famous meeting where I forget the guy's name that runs the, the Times. And, the, you know, they sat down and they said, basically, Russiagate is over and everything is you know, racism from now on. What happened was when Russiagate died, they rolled out Hitlergate. Yeah. And for the second two years of Trump's term, they just beat on this drum. So anyone who had voted for Donald Trump or basically anyone who didn't click heels and, you know, salute Hillary Clinton and who wasn't, you know, vocalizing their fanatical hatred of Donald Trump and all of his supporters on a daily basis, everyone, everyone who wasn't conforming was, you know, a far right neo-Nazi, you know, potential militia person who was going to rise up and overthrow democracy. And it was Hitlergate for two years until the big, you know, uh, uh, January 6th spectacle at the Capitol and the, you know, the election and then, and, and, and Biden took over and normality was restored. So this demonization, this demonization of, of 
dissidents is 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 what we are, Max. I mean, I'm you know I come from the left. I'm a, you know I'm a left dissident. Uh, the majority, I think, of these dissidents come from the right. You know, um, uh, I have a lot of conservative readers. They know I'm a leftist, and you know if 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 we weren't in the middle of a, the rollout of global totalitarianism, I'd probably be having arguments with them, right? You know, and it it's it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to Globocap whether the the dissidence comes from the left, whether it comes from the right. If you're not on script, if you're not conforming, you know, you're going to be demonized. You're going yeah. to be demonized. The demonization that's going on yeah. now in Germany and in other countries in the world under the COVID narrative is just an extension of the demonization that has been going on for the last five years. I'm not sure if you're aware of my my big uh, adventure in Germany. I don't think I am. I'm sure you'd be amused. I guess the best way to learn about it is to just uh, Google in German the term Toilettengate, um, <laughs> where basically, uh, well, I, 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 I don't even, I, I shouldn't start from the end. I should start from the beginning. I arrived in Germany in 2015 with a close colleague, David Sheen, who is a Jewish, Israeli, and Canadian journalist. And I had been covering the Israeli assault on the Gaza Strip in 2014. Uh, you know, I was under the bombs for several days. I was in the rubble with people whose homes and lives were destroyed. And we were invited to Germany by a few members of Die Linke to talk about, uh, respectively, David was going to talk about the fascistic atmosphere that unfolded in Israel during this assault on Gaza. And I was going to talk about what I saw in Gaza. The moment we arrived, uh, I think it was Berliner Morgenpost and all the Springer media activated to call us anti-Semites and fascists and uh, what, Judenhasser and Jew haters. And it was insane. Uh, by the end, we had, I, I was pretty sure the BND were following me. Uh, they, you know, I was being approached by strange people on the street. It was absolutely insane. Uh, and by the end, uh, we had German parliamentarians calling us uh, Holocaust deniers on state media channels. Uh, the um, Bundestag introduced a resolution to declare us persona non grata. It was crazy. But basically, Gregor Gysi, the head of the Dilinka party, denounced us as anti-Semites on the first day we arrived. So when we caught up with him in the Bundestag, after we actually managed to speak there, uh, my colleague, uh, he just let him have it. He unloaded on him. It was like, how dare you call me that? Like, just completely indignant. And Gysi ran into a bathroom stall, or he ran into a bathroom and slammed the door on my colleague. I wasn't actually even physically that close to where this took place, but I was more prominent at the time. So the Springer media went after me and said that Jew haters hunted down Gysi in the halls and they created this scandal called Toilettengate. And it really illustrated how hysterical German society still was. I mean, we're constantly told this fairy tale in the US about Germany having resolved the ghosts of its past and acknowledged the Holocaust. But it seems like what they did was kind of, I don't know how to put this, they transmuted those fascistic impulses into um, something else, a love for America and Israel 
and a false veneer of liberalism. Um, but I definitely experienced that experience and just the whole experience of being demonized as an anti-Semite uh, because I'm a Jewish anti-Zionist does really help me identify with people who are facing this kind of demonization for standing up against the new normal. Uh, and I think it gave me the capacity to start to to question. Well, I was questioning from the beginning, to, but to actually be able to speak up because, I mean, I've been called every name in the book already, also an Assadist and a Kremlin shill for talking about Russiagate. So it's like, what do I have to lose? But so many people I know and so many Germans I met were self-censoring. And, you know, you had D-Linka party members um, many who had grown up in East Germany who were using me as a proxy. This was kind of uncomfortable for me and David. We felt like we were being used as Jewish proxies to say things that they were afraid of. And then we would take all these attacks and they wouldn't stand up for us because they're German Gentiles. And it was Gentiles attacking us uh, from the Green Party. Volker Beck was the main attack dog. And I'm like, this guy has never had a bris. <laughs> he never had a bar mitzvah. But, he, you know, having a bris, I mean, that's that's real. And then he gets to call me an anti-Semite and degrade me as a Jew in Germany. And no, there's no consequence for that. I mean, this was insane. So it really makes sense to me what's happening now on a much deeper level. Um, and you are not a German. I mean, you're there as a kind of emigre. Yeah, I'm an immigrant, basically. I've been here for 17 years, but, you know. Yeah, I'm an immigrant. I, I live here. You know, one thing I think that's important to say, or at least it's it's something that I always want to say, is you know, of course, a lot of the things that I say, and you know, and what you were talking about just with the Germans, of course, these are all broad generalizations. You know, there's a, there is. A, I, I just want to point out and 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 make clear, you know, even now there is a large, uh, a large, vocal, uh, committed minority in Germany of Germans. Uh, who are absolutely opposed uh, to this new, you know, pseudo-medical totalitarianism and authoritarianism, whatever you want to call it, and who are fighting it um, with everything that they have. That said, you know, yeah, the, the majority of Germany, there's no way around this, the majority of Germany it has clicked heels and they are following orders. And Max, what I, what I think it has to do with mostly is just a culture of uh, obedience, of you know, obeying authority. Um, unfortunately, and what you know, you brought it. You mentioned it after the war. You know, the U.S. basically became the authority. I mean, Germany. What is Germany? It's 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 the key. You know, most powerful. You know, element of Globocap in Europe, right? And and completely aligned with the United States. Um, and, uh, and and its policies, and uh, you know, this is what people have been indoctrinated with, uh, you know, since the post-war period, and and unfortunately, what we're seeing is, and again, gross generalization. It doesn't apply to everybody, uh, but for the most part, we're watching German society once again, you know, salute click heels, believe what the television is telling them, believe what their leaders are telling them, and and follow orders. Yeah, this is a um, military parade to mark a tra transfer of power 
in Berlin. This is what I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion, where I actually thought that Triumph of the Will had been colorized by Ted Turner. Uh, Deutsche Welle, the state broadcaster, in announcing this military procession, stated, do not be alarmed by the torchlit <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> well, it's alarming. Um, and again, I'm not comparing this to the Holocaust, but there are echoes. And Hitler personally said that he preferred to have nighttime torchlit rallies because it was at the night when people's emotions were able to come out and their, um, their consciousness was relaxed. You would think, Max, you would think if nothing else, whoever is in charge of optics you know, <laughs> would have put the kibosh on this, you know? It's, you know, someone has to be in charge of optics. And when this idea was run by them, you know, who, who's the person that's in charge of saying, no, no torch lit rallies, you know? Marshall Band, uh, Dark Eagle, oh, the slow drop of the helmet in lockstep. It's beautiful. It's Oh, the... Ich liebe. <laughs> so, I know that Germany banned public singing for several years after the war. Uh, most Germans were not able to carry a tune because singing in public was so discouraged. Um, but now this kind of thing is, it seems to be coming back. Is, does this represent some kind of resurgence of national pride? What's your take on this? I, I really, I really don't know. Uh, you know, like I said, I've been here, I've lived here for 17 years and this is a new one uh, for me. Um, of course, I, I think Merkel has been the chancellor for the entire time. So they they may have done this when she took you know when the when she took office when the government took uh, took over, um, uh, but I don't know. It's a new one for me, Max. It's not something that I'm accustomed to seeing here in Berlin. Did you pay any attention to Merkel's remarks uh, as she, her closing remarks because she addressed you directly? Well, she didn't address you directly, but she addressed people who are resisting the COVID restrictions directly. Yeah. I paid zero uh, attention to her remarks. Uh, so, yeah, can't help you with that. What did she say? Uh, I'll pull it up on screen in a second. But she basically said that we need res um, we are facing a war on science and we need to resist the um, she used the term resistance. We need to resist those who are conspiracists and run smear campaigns. Um, yep, that's right. We're all we're all Nazi Russian disinformationists. Here we go. Well, no, this isn't. Yeah. Oh, I I I I, I googled or I looked on Twitter for. Um, here it is. I found it right here. Pull it up on screen, and and get, I want to get your reaction to this, because it's I think it's remarkable. It you know she's had one of the longest terms of any European leader. She really was the de facto leader of Europe or the EU for so long, and um, a, a historic figure. Uh, people, liberals in the U.S. actually revered her. They thought she's keeping holding the line against 
craziness in Europe. And for her to descend, my view is just, my read is just, she's just descended into pettiness because she's actually really, I mean, the whole establishment is shaken by the fact that there is resistance to all this and it's, they can't seem to resolve the crisis. Trust in facts. So, yeah, cons I mean, yeah, yeah, conspiracy theories like you know the human immune system and what have you. Um, the 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 I I do remember I do remember the headlines of her comments, uh, Max. And again, what's really really disturbing is when they when they made this new you know so called lockdown of the unvaccinated official. And and you know let's demystify it and make it really clear what they've done is they've said, you know, everyone who obeys orders and conforms with the narrative, they can go on about their lives, right? Anyone who refuses to follow orders, you are locked down. That's what this, you know, quote unquote lockdown of the unvaccinated is. And when they rolled it out, you know, Merkel just proclaimed it. We're doing this as an act of solidarity, an act of national solidarity. Right. <laughs> Well, you're right. That 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 kind of progressive language has been used from the beginning to promote conformity, so that those who don't conform are seen as an appendix that can be cut out. I, yeah, I don't hear it as I, you know. Yes, I, I it is you know progressive terminology, solidarity, you know. But what I, I don't hear it as progressive at all. You know, when she's talking about national solidarity, I I hear <laughs> That's that's what I hear. You know. There should be a national solidarity party, um, yeah. not so party, maybe we could call it. But but you know you've talked about uh, the the ideology of the new normal and how its ideology is an interpretation of reality that only it controls, and she espoused that rhetoric of reality in those comments. She distilled it. Can yeah, can you can I, you just I, explain that? You're 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 your view, you, how you see the the new normal ideology consolidating in this moment? Yeah, let me. I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble for a few minutes, probably. Um, I, I uh, wrote a few pieces about this uh, uh, recently because I've been trying to understand it and articulate it um, for people. I've been calling this. I've been calling the new normal totalitarian for you know, well over a year, I don't know, you know, 18, 19 months or, or so. And I'm using the word totalitarian specifically. And, and I get a lot of flack, you know, from, uh, you know, hardcore Marxists in, and, you know, on the left um, because of the history of the, the word totalitarian, but I'm using it specifically uh, because what we're seeing, it, it is not Nazism. It is not, you know, Stalinism. It, it is not, the the same uh, as the as 20th century forms of totalitarianism there are many similarities and i've been trying to point them out and put them in people's faces at times um but there are also just incredible differences 
Uh, for one thing, ideology, which you just brought up, um, you know, if you look at 20th century forms of totalitarianism, um, their ideology was clear. Uh, they, you know, it was printed, it was in books, you know, it was broadcast, um, and and it was unmistakable, and they were ramming it down your throat, right? Um, if you look at other authoritarian countries, you know, that exist today, whatever their official ideology happens to be, you know, whether it's, you know, quote unquote, communism or Islamic fundamentalism, whatever it is, those ideologies are very clear and they can be articulated. Global capitalism doesn't have a classical, you know, it doesn't have a classic ideology. What is its ideology? How can you how can we define it? How can we understand it? And what what I've been proposing is and 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 putting forth is the reality is global capitalism's ideology is reality, right? This is this is what global capitalism presents instead of ideology, right? So that one. If you're a dissident, you are no longer, you know, deviating from official party doctrine, right? You you are insane because you're basically deviating from reality. And I think this the rollout of the new normal and the entire pseudo-medical official narrative that we have been bombarded with is just an absolutely uh, uh, vivid example of what I'm talking about. All right. If if you don't have an official ideology, if your your official ideology is you know reality, you have preemptively uh, dispensed with any political opposition, right? Because there there are no political opponents to reality, <laughs> and and this is the position that we are being put in, and and you know your miracle clip. Uh, it just drives it home. We we are being beaten over over the head with this over and over and over again. You know, just trust the science, right? And when you actually go digging into the science, you know, it's uh, no, it's it's a lie. And you know, and we're being called uh, uh, COVID deniers. You know, as if as if we are denying that there are viruses or something. You know, we're 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 being uh, uh, you know uh, uh, called conspiracy theorists, as if you know we're crazy because we still believe you know what we believed you know prior to February 2020. You know, <laughs> we still believe that human beings have an immune system. You know, we still believe that viruses, you know, function the way that viruses have always functioned, you know, and but now we're being we're being called, you know, crazy people, you know, for for continuing to have these beliefs. And, and you know, I I get that in conversations with those we could call the new normals, people who are unfortunately in many cases very close to us. Um, because they want to be part of the reality-based community and they're never exposed to a counter narrative and they're able to dismiss all outside information as anti-vaxxer conspiracism and compartmentalize. So when they personally interact with someone who might ex try to explain to them that it is not only medically illogical, but also 
unethical to for bar so many people from society for not taking a basically what's a, th a therapeutic marketed as a vaccination that does not really prevent viral transmission. We see the Omicron variant spreading at these super spreader events where everyone's vaccinated at this point. You try to make mm -hmm. that point to them. They look at you as, as though you're insane when it's something that even, you know, Anthony Fauci openly admits that, you know, we, the vaccines can no longer prevent the Delta variant from spreading. So then we need to bring in more restrictions. You know, when you make these points, they're just like, you are crazy. Um, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Max, but no, you know, and, and technically, technically they are right. Right. Technically what this goes back to, you know, my pieces on the Covidian cult and what have you, you know, the majority of Western society at least has adopted this new official ideology and no, it doesn't make sense. And no, if you dig into the actual facts, you know, you find out that a lot of it is bullshit. Um, but nonetheless, the social body has adopted this as reality. And the majority of the social body is reinforcing it. You know, they're reinforcing it among each other and hearing it reinforced by power, you know, by government officials, by health uh, officials, by the media on a daily, on an hourly basis. This has become their reality, right? And we are a small minority of people who are deviating from the official reality. You know, and so technically, if you forget about actual reality and you just look at the dynamics of this system, in terms of the reality that they have created, we are technically insane. Right. <laughs> um, we're talking with CJ Hopkins, author, uh, satirist, uh, reality denier. Um, and it's very frustrating. Do you find, though, that you are able to? Um, you know, I, I, I'll just speak to my own personal experience as someone who comes from the left. A lot of people I know, at least those who are, you know, leftists in the activist community, self-described socialists who are not part of organized socialist parties, which have all taken this lockstep uh, line supporting lockdowns and mandatory vaccination and vaccine passports, that they tend to agree with me that what's taking place is really disturbing uh, and it violates the civil libertarian side of them, whatever's left of that, but they self-censor for fear of social consequences being uh, called a right winger. Um, are, you, are you finding the same thing and do you find the same thing in German society and in your social circles in general of uh, just self-censorship? And absolutely, Max, you know, it, you know, if you bring it down to that really personal level, um, look, let me use you for an example, you know, you know, at the beginning of the rollout of all of this stuff, you know, I saw somebody, you, you know, you're getting crucified on Twitter now uh, uh, by, you know, uh, uh, various people. And I, I, I looked at one tweet that they threw up, they dug up some one of your tweets from early in the pandemic, when you were saying, you know, wait a minute, it looks like China and, uh, and these other countries, you know, they're doing the right thing and, you know, going hard on this and so on. And they threw this up at you, um, uh, you know, and they're 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 just absolutely furious, 
absolutely furious because and 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 more angry at you than they are at people like me because they thought that you were part of the cults they thought you were you know on board and now you know and then you started questioning and you started challenging and you know you're a traitor is basically what it is you know you have betrayed the cult and you're a suppressive person you know in scientology and and just the fury that of of these people that is that is being unleashed i don't even know why you asked a question i started uh, <laughs> no no uh, no this is this, this is a free-form discussion. Um, yeah, I, I expected, you know, I really never, I never really was on board with anything that was taking place in this country. But in early 2020, I felt this new Cold War rising. My sense was COVID is just, uh, I, I didn't actually see it lasting for this long, the, the, the hysteria and insanity around it. And I thought it was just going to be exploited by the Trump administration to escalate this new Cold War on China. And I felt the impulse to point out that China was trying to be a responsible actor here. They were being lied about. And then it became clear to me that uh, things were more complex. Honestly, I'm not an I'm not I'm being called an anti-vaxxer, but I never really thought about vaccines before any of this. And no. I never Neither really, did I. I, I, like, I, I, I tried to explore the anti-vaxxer world um, at early on in the pandemic just because I was curious and I, I watched the film Vaxxed, which actually Robert De Niro was involved in. I wanted to understand why they didn't want to vaccinate their children. They, I, I, I never knew that people believed that the MMR vaccine caused autism. Um, and I didn't really take a strong opinion on it. I always respect people who have dissenting opinions, um, whether they are, you know, self-described anti-vaxxers or uh, communists, whatever they are. I always think there's there's they, that they're brave people for taking a stand outside the consensus, and I want to understand where they're coming from. But I didn't get on board with where they were coming from, and it wasn't until the government began to mandate vaccination at the same time that the vac it became clear that the vaccines didn't prevent transmission and were even failing to prevent infection and people were going to be hospitalized and were going to have to boost. It all became clear to me maybe around the spring. And I started kind of arguing with um, a lot of people around me that this wasn't going to end well. And what I got was not only kind of this delusional mentality uh, where they had never interrogated the problems and contradictions in the way that the pandemic was being um, examined, they would often just say, well, what about China? And what about Cuba? And that was that pretty much was the only response I got uh, in the end to shut down discussion, which is that if you, and it's a sort of a way of saying you're a right winger, if you come out against this, then you're coming out against China and Cuba because Cuba's vaccinating two-year-olds and China is you know, vaccinating the world and they're doing harsh lockdowns. They're even like sealing people in their apartments. And so it's kind of just another way of excommunicating you from the left for thinking independently. And it is dismaying. Um, I see the, I mean, do you, I, I guess I would throw the question. I remembered my point, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I'd respond to 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 you to that. Uh, thank you, because coming from because I think a lot absolutely. of people ask me these questions and they want to know more. But go ahead. 
Sure, uh, people need to hear it, and 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 thank you because you brought me back to my uh, point. You know, you asked me about you know the silence of people on the left. You know, people who who you know I would expect you know champions of civil liberties. You know, people who I would expect to you know stand up. I mean. Max, you know, you can just rattle off what has been done and what is being done to society. I mean, they're literally locking people up in camps in Australia. You know, Austria is, you know, mandating, you know, quote unquote, vaccination for the entire populace. You know, Germany is going to do the same thing early next year. You know, it's if if you this is, I think, the biggest story of my lifetime the biggest political story of my lifetime and and the people who should be you know shouting from the rooftops um are you know looking the other way and and keeping their mouth shut and does it frustrate me it infuriates me um it infuriates me on one hand i understand it you know i understand that a lot of the people that i'm thinking of and maybe the people that you're thinking of you know, are people who have, you know, high profile uh, jobs and uh, families and, and big houses with mortgages and uh, kids to take care of. And, uh, you know, they're looking at the choice, you know, it's, it's do, I, do I actually do some investigative journalism here? You know, do I, do I actually dig into this official narrative and try to take it apart like I did with Russiagate maybe? Um, and what they're facing is just incredible punishment. If they do that, they will be punished and they know it and they know it. So I understand what the stakes are and, and, and I understand why a lot of people are keeping silent. But in, in light of what is happening and continuing to happen and the direction that things are moving in, you know, I, I'm sorry, but the stakes are higher than your fucking house. You know, it's time to speak out. And I was using, I was just using you as an example of someone, you know, who, who at least people, you know, you, you, you definitely weren't pushing back uh, in the beginning like you are now. And, and you didn't care. (laughs) And you didn't care when you, when you saw when it started looking fishy to you, when you saw the problems, you reacted to those problems and you started speaking out. I know. I also know people on the left. I also. I also have people on the left who are telling me, "Why are you talking to Max Blumenthal?" You know, in the beginning of this, Max was you know on the other side. And it's that's, like, that's not true. It's really not true that I was on. I don't the even. Other side. I don't even care, Max. Even if it were true, <laughs> even if it were true, I know it's not. But it's, even if it were true, I wouldn't care at all. You know, the, there, there are people right now, ideologues, who are just beating the new normal drum and they want the unvaccinated lockdown and mandatory vaccine. If they change their mind tomorrow, if they wake up tomorrow and see what's going on and start pushing back against it, I will applaud these people and welcome them on board. You know, it, it's not about expecting It's not about expecting everyone to have gotten everything right from the very beginning. It's it's for God's sake, look at what's happening. Look at what's being done to society. Yeah. And and face it and stand up and do the right thing. Speak out about it. So, yeah. Yeah. It frustrates me. (laughs) There's silence, as you can tell.
Yeah, it's 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 under and it is understandable. Uh, the left is in many ways kind of like a a church in at this point where you you have to adopt certain positions to demonstrate your virtue. And for I, I still struggle to understand why I guess the politics of the Trump era and the fear of right-wing populism and fascism animates it most strongly along with this um, reflexive and almost um, cartoonish worship of scientific rationalism as if there is a science. What makes the, 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 the Western left and the, the organized left so supportive of all of these restrictions and so unable to criticize it. But uh it, 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 and so I understand why people who care so much a lot about other issues, racial justice, uh, environmental justice, anti-imperialism, don't want to take a stand on this. Um, I also think that they don't actually see how high the stakes are. Um, what I've noticed among anti-imperialists is that while they correctly understand geopolitics between nations, they don't recognize the power of a supranational imperial bureaucracy, uh, kind of techno-fascist uh, uh, layer over states. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're playing my tune, uh, basically. I mean, you know, what, the, the, what I've been harping on for at least you know six years and it's actually it goes back into all of my plays that i wrote before i was writing political satire and everything else is you know when the soviet union fell apart we 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 became a single ideology world we we it became one big global capitalist world and global capitalist ideology or post ideology or whatever you want to call it um, has dominated the planet ever since. And of course, there are still nation states competing with other nation states, uh, you know, just like there are corporations competing with other corporations. Uh, but the world is dominated, you know, economically and ideologically uh, by global capitalism. And we haven't really gotten our heads around that yet. It's it's kind of natural. It's only been 30 years, which in historical terms is nothing. Um, but it's just, the, this is what I've been harping on for a long time. We, we need more smart people to start articulating how power actually works in this world that we live in. Um, and and where where we are increasingly being uh, ruled uh, by supranational entities is is what it comes down to. And of course, it's very complicated because those supranational ent entities are also integrated with the you know uh, sovereign governments, with the nation states, and and it is a big complicated web. There are people digging into it, uh, good people digging into the details. I don't do details a lot. You know, I'm really just a political satirist and, a, and, a, and an analyst in, in, of ideology. But there are a few people that are digging into all of those webs. And that is really what we need. If if you're still, you know, if, 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 if somebody's a leftist and they're still 
operating you know, uh, under this worldview where you know, power is, is, is uh, articulated between sovereign nation states that are competing with each other. You know, it's, it's, that's not where we're living anymore. It's not the world anymore. Do you, and, and just on the issue of left, right, you know, we've addressed um, national sovereignty versus this the the the, pow the increasing power of a supranational bureaucracy, which has caused so many nations, regardless of their political leadership, to operate in locks in lockstep during the pandemic under the auspices of the WHO, and even we see the IMF pushing for lockdowns, offering incentives. Um, what is the left at this point? How would you characterize it? How do you view it differently than you did prior to January 2020? And what does it, and, and, and do, you know, is there, I guess I'm throwing too many questions, so I'll, I'll leave it there. What, what, how do you see the left? <laughs> um, I don't anymore. I, 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 don't, I don't know, uh, Max. I think there are, you know, there are people, uh, you know, there are people with leftist views. I mean, what does it mean? You know, what, uh, what does it mean? I'll tell you what, you know, I still consider myself, you know, basically, I'm not a political activist, I'm an author, um, uh, but I, I, I still consider myself, you know, uh, as, as part of the left. And, you know, what it means to me, where, where it begins is with uh, my allegiance and, and identification with the working class. You know, it's, that's, I was born into a working class family. I was raised by working class people. You know, I worked in a factory when I was young. Um, it's, it, my leftism is essentially my identification with the, with the working classes and, and, and regular people who aren't big shots um, and who are being exploited by, you know, powerful uh, uh, rich people and corporations. And, and so we need, uh, you know, uh, means of at least minimizing the exploitation, and, and it's part of the reason that I that I came to Europe in the first place because there's still some you know semblance of social democracy here. Um, so that's where my basic you know leftism comes from. You know what what people understand as the left today, I I, I don't recognize. Um, I, I really don't, you know, the, the, the identity politics stuff that is going on. I mean, I'm old, Max, you know, it's, it's, I'm sitting here with a gray beard. Um, you know, I, I have, I still have Martin Luther King's, you know, speeches ringing in my head, you know, uh, you know, judging people on the, on the quality of their character, you know, not based on the color of their skin. You know, that's, I'm, I guess I'm an old liberal, an old leftist or something. Uh, but that's still where I'm, where I come from, you know, the, this, the, the, like the, the identity politics stuff and the woke, uh, the, the woke fanaticism, I, I don't recognize it. And, and I don't see how anyone can really claim to be on the left when, if they're completely, you know, enmeshed in that stuff, you know, if I, if I want to talk to the working classes, you know, guess what? A lot of the working classes, you know, have a lot of conservative and sometimes right-wing views. A lot of the working classes, you know, some of the working classes are bigots, right? It's, you know, if you want to connect with the working classes, you know, you need to be able to talk 
to people all over the spectrum. It doesn't mean that you approve of their bigotry, right? And you can call it out and, and you know, disagree with them and everything else. But this idea of creating some sort of ideologically pure, you know, leftism is just insane to me. Yeah, you learn that lesson uh, if you engage on a mass scale in a community with those who identify with leftists that it's it's kind of it's almost impossible to maintain the ideological orthodoxy as time goes on and the contradictions increasingly grow between what identifies itself as an international left and the working class and what working class people want just basic workers want i mean down to masking i mean anyone i know who does like a job that involves labor hates wearing a mask it doesn't matter what country they're from what their politics might be they just hate it and they re recognize that it's just just medically ridiculous to wear cloth schmata on your face as if it's going to protect people um, I remember the first time I was kind of ritually stoned by an, a sector of the left, you know, it was when I was kind of emerging as a voice on Palestine, on Israel, Palestine, and uh, Black Lives Matter suddenly became a thing. There had been Ferguson, there had been just working class people in the suburb of Ferguson standing up against the cops. And then it kind of became formalized and NGOified, and the foundations were coming in with tons of money to make it Black Lives Matter. And there was the first Black Lives Matter national conference. And this other foundationized left-wing group called Standing Up for Racial Justice, which was all white people who want to be, be allies, issued a bulletin calling for white people to not attend the Black Lives Matter conference and to, quote, organize in their own communities, including Jews. They said Jews should only organize within their Jewish communities uh, or their shtetls. I don't know. It just seemed bizarre to me. And I quote tweeted it and said segregated organizing. And uh, the demands for me to take that tweet down were uh, especially from the, the foundationized part of the Palestine solidarity movement overwhelming to the point where I just said, okay, I'll delete it. So people stop like doing these insane Facebook threads, calling me a slave overseer. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, I held my tongue for a while. Then I criticized the white helmets, which was obviously a gigantic PR operation to manufacture consent for the dirty war in Syria. It was just so disgusting on so many levels. And then I was called an Islamophobe and there was another ritual stoning of me. There were petitions demanding I be blacklisted and that I'm not an ally, whatever. People supported me on that to some extent, but it took a few years to get that narrative out of the way. Russia gate. Now we have a new one and I'm being ritually stoned again. Actually, no, it was late 2020 when things started getting really strange. Um, when, you know, the, the uh, movement against police violence, police brutality um, turned into, turned very nihilistic. And I was out in the streets as I always was with these protests. But, you know, as time went on, they started to get strange. And I said something critical of um, taking down, you know, mobs running around, taking down statues of Ulysses Grant and Lincoln. Um, and I said, I thought this was about like, you know, protesting the police. What, what the hell? And then it was another ritual stoning by many of the same elements that are attacking me now. And it just becomes increasingly untenable to uphold any principle 
without massive self-censorship. Uh, and, and, and now I find there is this mass of people who are politically marooned, just like me, maybe like you, uh, who can't uphold the ideological orthodoxy and constant virtue signaling, but cannot ever consider themselves right-wing in any way or even libertarian. What, 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 what can they, I mean, and I'm sure you, you, you know them as well. I mean, what can be done? For, what, what can those people do to organize? Uh, what, what hope is there for any political mobilization? I really have, and I'm sorry, Max, but I really have no idea at this point. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't. I feel, I feel like, you know, we're on a, on a wave. We're on an ugly wave here. And this wave is going to have to break and play itself out uh, before we get to a different place. I, I would have no idea. I mean, yes, you know, there are scattered weirdos, uh, you know, like us uh, who you know, are, are still basically, <laughs> you know, leftists. Um, and we don't fit at all in, in, in this, you know, new sort of, you know, ideologically, you know, uniform, uh, you know, again, I just see the, these totalitarian tendencies, you know, this, this just desire to create this, this, you know, ideological uniformity, you know, and sure there, we're, we're, there are a bunch of us out there scattered around, but what to do with that or how to organize that, I do not have a clue. It's a good question. I mean, my mentality is just to get up every day and be the biggest bastard I can be uh, and just let the chips fall where they may. Um, that's led us to do some investigations and reports at the gray zone on the various that, that, that kind of take, kick the legs out of the narrative, the official narrative around COVID. And one thing I've noticed is those are our most popular articles or some of our most popular articles this year. I mean, and, and the traffic just constantly grows for each article as they get passed around like Sami's dot, uh, similar to your, your writings. Um, Max, I, you know, I just want to say it's, you know, I, 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 I know that you see it. I hope that, that you see it already. Uh, you know, the reason that it's important, you know, you've got a bigger audience, bigger platform than I do. It's, it's, it's really important, you know, for people with larger platforms to start doing this. The effect, you know, from the time that you have become more actively, you know, uh, 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 vocal about this, I have watched the the results of that and it, the permission that it has given other people on the left, you know, people who have been your fans and your readers, uh, you know, for quite a while. And basically you gave them permission to start vocalizing their opposition. And we, we, we need, you talked about how can we organize, we need more and more of that. Um, uh, people who are not in prominent positions, they need that. They need, they need someone, they need the people that they look to for analysis and understanding and reporting. They need those people to give them permission to start expressing their dissent. So it's, it's, it's a tangible, a tangible thing. I just wanted to point that out at the same time, you know, I am also, you know, watching you get crucified. Um, who, who was the, the, there was a, like a salon guy that went after you, uh, Walker Bragman. Walk, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Walker Bragman. It's, you know, very self-important name. 
Yeah, and um, um, but and, and there was another guy that just uh, uh, went after you as well. Um, whatever, I, I, I forget. I can't. I, forget. I lose track. It all seems like one guy who writes an occasional article from his uh, Brooklyn-based apartment for some progressive publication, and mostly spends time tweeting about how uh, the working class needs to lock down. I did. They just blend into one. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm trying to answer the question that you asked, which is that people like us. Um, I mean, you're reading my novel, you know, which is absolute. It's completely inappropriate. I don't know how far you are into the this novel. Is zone, but, this is Zone Twenty Three. Yeah, throw it up on yeah, screen. I, I don't know how far you are into it, but when you get far enough into it, or you're probably far enough into it already. You know, imagine, imagine if I had tried to get this published by a corporate publisher, right? Imagine, imagine this novel going in front of the sensitivity readers that all of the corporate publishers have now. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at is, is those of us on the left, you know, those of you know, the, the right kind of, they've got their, you know, house in order. They know what they're doing. Those of us on the left who you know, are not, uh, you know, woke ideologues and who are still just kind of old classic working class leftists, you know, we need to speak out. We need to, you know, show ourselves to people. People need to understand that this is, you know, that this can also still be the left, you know, people like me and people like you. You know, we need to speak out and, and, and we need to show people that that is possible, that the left is not just, you know, hysterical ideological mobs, you know, surrounding people, you know, at, at, at D.C. restaurants and demanding that they, you know, whatever chant, whatever Black Lives Matter slogan they were demanding, you know. Yeah, that, yeah, that you're referring to a, a group of basically nihilist, nihilistic, self-described anarchists who were the runoff of the actual George Floyd protests in Washington who called themselves the they them collective. <laughs> and they, most of them come from out of DC and were running around like burning trash cans in the street. It was like, kind of like, a, I, I, I won't even go there, but <laughs> These were, these were not the most stable people and they were going around menacing people in restaurants who often were from DC. Um, it was kind of offensive. It, to me, it was sort of like, uh, it was like a cultural revolution of gentrifiers <laughs> in a city that traditionally was black and they weren't getting like native black participation at this stage. Like early on, yes, at this point, no. And it was when I kind of jumped off the bandwagon there. I mean, I, I look back at Kenosha totally differently. I mean, you know, I'm not a Kyle Rittenhouse fan. I'm not going to go out and defend him as some kind of victim or some great guy. Uh, but, you know, why was this working class, middle class town having Main Street torched at the same at the same time that the lockdowns were destroying Main Street and 200,000 small businesses were being closed? Like, how how can there be no criticism of that? What was the point of that? And how is that connecting with the working class? If anything, all it did was feed into this strategy of tension that the security state was enacting uh, to enhance its powers, which culminated after January 6th. Yeah, well, uh, once again, you know, we're talking about it. 
we're talking about this this pressure to maintain ideological uniformity, you know, regardless of of any sense of perspective whatsoever, right? It, it's just one is not allowed to analyze, you know, Kenosha or the the BLM uh, protests and riots, and one is not a, it, you know, if you're if you if you want to stay in good standing with you know left world today, you're not allowed to to actually analyze and present the complexity of those events. Yeah, and the and 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 speak about any of the actions in those events with with any perspective at all. I got pretty much ejected from left world, you know, back during the Trump days. Um and and I think it was shortly after Charlottesville. Uh I'm I'm not sure. Um, you know, but this mass hysteria was created in the United States suddenly you know, democracy was going to be destroyed by, you know, Donald Trump's, you know, secret army of, you know, underground neo-Nazis, you know, Russian-backed neo-Nazis that were going to destroy democracy. And and I started writing pieces and pointing out, you know, yes, there are neo-Nazis. There have always been neo-Nazis. They are a minority of freaks. <laughs> and, and that's, they're not going to overthrow democracy. You know, they're a small, you know, they're a minority of whack jobs and they always have been. And you're, you know, that's the perspective. You know, this is not a giant army that is going to bring down the United States government. And I was I, I was ejected from left world shortly after that. Yeah, I remember after January 6th, just be I, I was I was present for that several hour riot. I found it to just be absurd kind of ridiculous there were comical elements to it um i also saw the moment after ashley babbitt was shot i saw her die um i was there as a journalist <laughs> you know i wasn't part of it i was just like this this i I, ba I practically walked there i mean i live across the river in anacostia but like you could see from my house the capital was basically smoking <laughs> and so you know how am i going to not witness that and there was the then you know fences went up the next day, CNN was on the scene that night uh, of the night of the inauguration, warning of QAnon insider attacks from the National Guard on Biden. The National Guard was controlled by Nazis. Everyone had to keep away from Biden. Fences went up around this entire area. Uh, there were sixty thousand troops in our streets, and I I thought, w what is the real fascist threat here? And I started listening to some of the key socialist ideologues in the U.S. And they were howling about the insurrectionists and this conspiracy between Trump and the military and the fascists to overthrow the government. And it sounded so dissonant. When D.C. had been militarized, martial law had been declared for nights. People were put out of the streets, not only because of the COVID restrictions, which were sort of unspoken, but there. People were afraid to go in the streets and there were just gunmen everywhere in dark uniforms. And nothing was said about this. There was a quiet protest movement building on Capitol, around Capitol Hill with these nice liberals who have those signs in front of their house that say, we believe science is real. We believe love is love. And they were passing out little flyers asking you know, the National Guard if they could move the walls back a little bit. But no one was howling about the military being in our streets. They were afraid. Uh, and so I just, the, the dissonance is constantly on display. I mean, I know I'm kind of ranting here, but it's also therapeutic to talk about it. Um, and, and, you know, it, I see the dissonance on Twitter where 
prominent leftists on their timelines are just simply not acknowledging what's happening in Germany or Australia. It's just not there. They've com completely compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah. Some of the prominent journalists, you know, are just, I can't help but I, I look at it and, and to me it seems like they're desperately covering anything else. It's just, you know, anything that, you know, I can possibly cover, you know, so that I don't have to look at what's happening all around the world, so that I don't have to look at the millions of working class people, you know, millions of working class people who are out in the streets, you know, getting their asses beat and getting uh, chemical sprayed and in some cases shot. Um, but millions of people, working class people all over the world that are rising up and protesting and fighting back because they don't want to live in a fascist pseudo-medical dystopia where we all have to show our little digital compliance certificate to be able to participate in society. This is right? Brussels yesterday. Uh, yeah flashbangs and tear gas on a densely packed crowd protesting the the green pass vaccine passport uh which segregates the unvaccinated from society uh this is totally ignored in most left media and what also was part of the left narrative for kind of denouncing the protests or ignoring them was uh this idea that this is a phenomenon purely of the global north and it's an individualistic uh, phenomenon that uh, you know, is, is, is selfish and, and therefore neoliberal in nature. But now we're seeing actual insurgencies in the French neo-colonies of Martinique and Guadeloupe. Like we're talking about armed insurgencies where yes. French special forces have been called in and they are losing control over those islands. And these are un this started with union organized protests. I mean, how how I mean, you've been following this from the beginning. You 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 talked about this kind of Reichstag moment in Germany where this protest was sort of framed as Nazi. The security services were obviously in in maybe or it seemed to be involved, but there were protests early on, but now we're looking at a global protest movement. How would you compare this? I mean, we've seen protests in Morocco. There are protests across Latin America now, um, protests in, uh, in, in, they're starting to crop up in Japan, pretty large protests. How would you compare this moment to last year and to you know the, the movements you've witnessed throughout your life? It's, uh, I, I think it's a dangerous uh, moment. Um, I think it's kind of unavoidable at this point. Um, you know, as ever, I'll throw in the disclaimer and say that I hope I'm wrong. Why dangerous? Uh, but, uh, because we're at the point now where uh, people are not just, you know, I, I was out at the early protests in Berlin and they were completely peaceful. You know, the, uh, you know, the so-called uh, storming of the Reichstag you know, was an orchestrated little event and it was separate from the huge main protest. Um, I think I talked about that the last time uh, uh, we spoke, uh, but the, the, the main protest was entirely peaceful. And many of these protests were entirely peaceful for a long, long time. 
the the authorities the I just wrote a piece about the, about violence a little bit. Yeah, it's the authority, the the violence and the the oppression that is being applied by the new normal authorities has become uh, intense enough that people are exploding. Uh, uh, people are are exploding and they're reacting uh, uh, violently and 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 with anger. Um, uh, you know. I don't want to debate the word violence and get into the Antifa crap, but people are are responding with force, <laughs> let's say. And this is going to happen because what we're talking about, people are being deprived of their ability to live as human beings. And, and they're going to explode and they are exploding. And I don't know where it's going to lead, Max. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't sit here and say, you know, yeah, we're going to, you know, beat them with militant action. Um, they're, you know, the forces of global cap are incredibly powerful. Um, at the same time, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that it's a fait accompli that they can keep a lid on this either. Um, and I, I think things are, are, are going to get more explosive. Well, they've gotten explosive uh, in Martinique and Guadeloupe. I was just sharing a screen and I kind of screwed up uh, techn technically with it. Let me see if I can get it back here. Yeah, this is a Al Jazeera Francais uh, report from Martinique and Guadeloupe. And, you know, it's showing what's been taking place there. It started with the vaccine passport and now it's become a widespread insurgency against deprivation, uh, failure of France to provide basic services, which has been a ricochet effect of the lockdowns and the whole uh, economy of the pandemic, the, 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 the controlled demolition of the global economy. And here people are talking about what's taking place there. It is a historic moment. And, uh, you know, we can look at the history of revolts in the West or, or across in, in, the, in the imperial core um, back to maybe the Battle of Carabobo in the colonies of South America in Venezuela today, where the forces of the Spanish colonial masters were defeated and it led to an uprising in Spain against the monarchy. So here we see the colonies are beginning to rise up and people are showing solidarity in the streets of France with the colonies there. But again, very little recognition of this in the Western left. Um, yeah, it's, 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 well, A, it's being, you know, buried by the corporate media, by the mainstream yeah, media. Yeah, they're definitely. trying to, they're trying to erase it and, and bury it. And, you know, second of all, the, the, the professional left uh, that is completely aligned with the new normal narrative are desperately looking away uh, and trying not to see that it's happening, um, but it is happening. You know, millions of people, working class people all over the world, you know, families, you know, people are out in the streets with their kids, you know, are, are rising up because they do not want to live in this fascistic, you know, uh, biosecurity dystopian society that GloboCap is trying to implement. And, and I guess I never asked you, but you're in the heart of it. Um, one of the 
things that, you know, Americans and professional leftists say to me is that, you know, Biden has said there will be no lockdown this winter. There are no real restrictions in the U.S. So why are you freaking out? The stakes are not high, but where you are, where you are situated in a major key NATO bastion and key ally of the U.S., things are very severe. What is it like on a daily basis for you there in Berlin, yeah, let, coping with yeah. the restrictions? Yeah, let me I did, let me just remind uh, people, because I know that, you know, um, it's also different in the UK. You know, the UK is not as, as draconian as, as it is here. <clears throat> but, you know, maybe maybe let me bring it back to the beginning if we're getting close to the end here and and, and remind people what, you know, our, our life is like here um, in in Germany. Um, I, I literally cannot take public transportation. I can't go to a restaurant. I can't go to a cafe. I can't go to the theater or the movies or any type of cultural event whatsoever. I'm not allowed to protest. Uh, protests. I, I can protest against anything else. If I want to protest, you know, against, you know, if I want to do a climate change protest or any other type of protest, that's completely fine. Uh, but protests against the new normal are outlawed. They're banned. Right. So I'm not allowed to protest when I when I uh, 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 write my pieces and put those out and, and do things on social media. Um, the German government working in uh, coordination with global corporations, they don't censor everything that I put out, uh, but they censor a lot of it. And the stuff that they don't flat out censor, they de-boost it. And sometimes they punish people who share it and so on and so forth. Um, uh, in a few months, uh, Germany is going to uh, decree mandatory uh, vaccinations for the entire population, just like Austria already has. And, you know, I walk and around. You've been warning I, about this for some time. I've been warning about this from the beginning, Max. You know, I, I think I, I, I wrote my first pieces <laughs> saying, you know, this is nascent totalitarianism and this is where we're going to end up. I wrote this stuff back in March of 2020. Okay. And, and here we are. Um, uh, you know, I, it, let me make it even more personal. You know, I, I walk outside of, uh, the apartment building where I live and right next door to me is what used to be a wonderful little Italian, uh, you know, uh, bistro, uh, which is now a testing center. Right, a, a COVID testing center, and or or it has been, and lined up in front of that testing center are all of these working class people. I live in a really uh, ethnically mixed neighborhood, so you know a lot of them are you know Palestinians and Iranians and uh, you know Turks and 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 what have you, and they're all lined up there to go get their tests, you know, which they need uh, to to go to work, you know. It's I I, I think I don't know. Maybe it's over now, but that's what they needed. And so I'm surrounded by these testing centers, you know, and then I take a little walk and I pass the, the stores in my neighborhood and they all have these signs uh, in the windows, uh, you know, reminding me that I'm not allowed to come in there, you know, and that only people who can show their, you know, digital proof of compliance with the new ideology um, are allowed to come into the store. Um, and this is life in Berlin now. You know, it's if if I speak out about it, uh, you know, I, I, I put a, a tweet up that went 
uh, I don't know, semi-viral, I don't know, it's 10,000, 14,000 um, uh, uh, likes or something like that. And um, uh, somebody, uh, the woman who's the head of, I don't know, freedom and, uh, you know, diversity or something at uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation here in Berlin. You're talking about you know, Jillian York. Yeah, Jillian York, exactly. And she- She deleted you know, she, her tweet, by the way. Yeah, I know she. Yeah, I know she did. When I when I fought, you know, when I when I slapped back, basically, you know, this is you know a, a woman who's plugged into the whole you know uh, IT you know freedom of information network and so on. Sixty eight thousand followers on Twitter, and you know she saw my tweet and was so offended that I was describing my situation, you know, my life. I, the tweet was just simply me saying, "Here's my life in Berlin." Right. Here's here's what it's like for me. You know, how, how you doing? You know, how's how's your life going? And she was so horrified and offended by this that, you know, that that she had to 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 hold me up in front of all of her, you know, Twitter followers and and the hacker community and 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 basically speaking on behalf of the city of Berlin, you know, tell me that I was unwelcome here. Berlin right? doesn't want you, CJ. Yeah, exactly. She's right. not a she's not a uh, Berlin resident. Maybe she could say she is a Berlin resident. She lives I'm sorry, here. she's not a native Berlin. Uh, no, German she's an she's an American. She she's an American kind of, just like that. And I should mention she gallivants around the globe as part of a U.S. government regime change network through the Open Technology Fund, which is a U.S. intelligence aligned arm. Uh, it's run by the Radio Free Asia, which was founded by the CIA. And what they do is supply, quote unquote, civil society groups with encrypted technology so they can organize color revolutions against governments the U.S. doesn't like. They were especially active in the Hong Kong riots. Um, and she's an advisor to that group. <coughs> it's, and she's saying Berlin doesn't want you. And yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm and exactly. And, you know, thank you because I wasn't aware. I, I, didn't, I had no idea who she was. I didn't know that she existed. And you turned me on to, to all the information about her. Well, I'm, I'm holding very, it up. Uh, these people don't really produce much of values. You won't notice them until they attack you. I, I'm just holding her up as another example of, you know, not conforming, living here now, you know, my daily life as someone who is not complying with the new official ideology. You know, this is this is what it's like. It's it's a hostile environment where you are reminded at every turn that you are not conforming and therefore we hate you. <laughs> the basically the entire society is is telling me that. Uh, every time I step out my door. Yeah. And we've seen um, in Australia, in Melbourne, these um, kind of an, an, a so-called Antifa group that is bringing together uh, various left uh, dork squads, sectarian dork squads, to demonstrate in support of Dan Andrews, uh, $5,000 fines for the unvaccinated and... Uh, Australia's new policy of quarantining or interning people who test negative for COVID because they've been in contact with people who tested positive, picking them up in a van with police and taking them to a camp for 14 days, a literal camp. And we see, so we see these let's, kind of elements. Not on, let's on. remind everybody, healthy, let's remind everybody, perfectly healthy people. Right? Yeah. 
perfectly healthy people being interned in these camps. I'm sorry, Max. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's, I'm trying to pull up the video actually. Um, and it, it's really telling. I mean, the left is kind of acting as a state enforcers while claiming they're anti-fascists or anti-state. Uh, you know, I, I'm not at like anti-state anarchist in many ways. I find them to be like force multipliers or, or, of, of libertarianism or neoliberalism or always had, but here they're demonstrating four mandates. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, not just enforcing, uh, official conformity and ideology online, but also, um, doing so in the streets. And this campaign is really unusual. Let me just pull up the uh, video and get your reaction. And then here we go. And then uh, just want to ask you one last question and I'll let you go back into the uh, ranks of the um, reality deniers. Here we go. So this is the group you can see all of the different kind of building wipe out the far right because there have been huge protests in melbourne and with with uh many actually aboriginal speakers families all kinds of people there have been far right elements in these protests of course because they're taking advantage of working class anger in an opportunistic way and then here you have these people who look pretty much unre like completely unrelatable and hysterical and their sign says pro-vax anti-fascist because the vaccine is somehow um, virtuous just inherently and anyone who opposes forced vaccination, mandatory vaccination is a fascist. Um, that's the most explicit expression I've seen of the left kind of acting as uh, enforcer of state ideology in a bourgeois capitalist outpost of imperialism. Well, again, you know, I'll say it again, Max, uh, you know, we've had the same thing here from the beginning, you know, the you know, Antifa has been out at all of the protests, you know, harassing and, you know, abusing uh, the people who are, are protesting the new normal, you know, Antifa has, the, the Antifa groups have been trying to paint everybody as, you know, neo-Nazis uh, from the beginning, you know, I don't recognize these people as the left, you know, uh, I, I just don't. You know, whatever they are, whatever they are, I don't recognize them as the left. You know, I, I, as I said, I'm not an activist. I'm, I'm, I'm just an author. Uh, but I was around the, you know, the anarchist community a little bit in New York City back, you know, when, you know, when the big WEF protest happened, and then the uh, protests prior to the invasion of Iraq and what have you. Um, and, and, I don't know. If they're the same people, I, I don't know what the hell happened to, to them, you know, because, you know, these these fanatical Antifa people in Berlin or these people that you just showed in Australia uh, who are out there in the streets demonizing, you know, and abusing working class people who are simply demanding their rights to live like normal human beings without believing some, you know, bullshit Goebbelsian big lie and, and, you know, demonstrating their obedience to some new ideology. The fact that these people are out there doing this to the working classes, I, I don't recognize them as the left and I won't.
Well, you know, someone who was a leftist in college, uh, who was actually in the Spart Young Spartacist League, who is a, a Trotskyist, is now a day one of the most, maybe the most famous day trader on in the U.S. on U.S. cable news. It's uh, Jim Cramer. Let's listen to what Jim Cramer had to say. <clears throat> Left vaccination policy to individual companies. Now it's toothless OSHA going back and forth on what's allowed in factories. But nobody with any power is saying the frontline workers need to be vaccinated. It's just going wrong. And most of us are sick of it. Even as a vocal anti-vax minority is always grabbing the mic. This charade must end. The government must require vaccinations, not of this group or that group, not company by company, not cruise ship by cruise ship or airline by airline or government by government. The buck stops at the White House. Some of us are old enough to remember when we were told we had to get a needle stuck into our arms because of some disease that was so scary we didn't even, we were afraid to talk about it. The disease was called polio. No one knew how you got it, but you were scared to go to a place where anyone might congregate a swimming pool or And we got a vaccine. Vaccines worked. President Eisenhower said we would end polio. He pulled it off because he didn't give us any choice. Soon after, as if the needle were too hard, they came up with a shirt you. They being the scientists at the time. And we lined up and took them too. Mine tasted like maraschino cherries. Yeah, like the Del Monte fruit cocktail my mom served, but only better. Lord knows what happened if you didn't partake. But back then, anyone who refused to get vaccinated would get ratted out immediately because we knew that person could hurt other people. The common wheel was a common wheel. Now engage in a similar struggle with COVID, Eisenhower would be gassed. We have immunocompromised people who are incubators for every variant to come, walking around lawfully <laughs> Medical misinformation. That's psychotic. We have companies that have tried hard to get people vaccinated and now backing down. We have governors who want to be president by grandstanding on a foolish state's right issue, the right to get sick and get other people sick. The right to get sick. So it's time to admit that we have to go to war against COVID. Require vaccination universally. Have the military run it. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you better be ready to prove your conscientious objector status in court. So have the military run it. And yes, uh, Jim Cramer was a Trotskyist in college. Uh, and now he's an uber capitalist who's always complaining that uh, if we don't get more people vaccinated, the economy is going to, you know, the, the Wall Street won't do well. But uh, he's calling for the military to forcibly vaccinate all Americans. And everything you've predicted which was seen as crazy, has come true in Germany. Okay, I mean, can it happen here? And what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I, it seems to me like the plan is to new normalize Europe and kind of use it as leverage. Because if if you can imagine, uh, you know, the United States is it's a very complex case, and I don't I, I don't I don't think we have time to get into it. I I don't. Um, but it, it, it's if you can imagine uh, uh, if Europe is completely new normalized, right? So you, you're unable to travel to Europe uh, or, or do any business with anybody in Europe unless you're complying with new normal restrictions. That means that that everybody on both coasts in the United States is also going to new normalize. You know, any, anyone who is basically an international traveler or operating, you know, a business right. on a global right. level is going to be forced to conform uh, right. to right. the new normal. The United States is a very big country. 
And uh, there are a lot of people who still live outside of the cities and in rural areas and have guns. <laughs> it's another reason I, I get kicked out of the left is, is you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good idea that people have guns. Um, it's, I don't think this type of ideological uniformity can be imposed on the entire United States. But I don't think that Globocap cares. Um, I don't think that they're that they feel that it's necessary, you know, to impose the new normal on a farmer, you know, in you know Alabama. You know, yeah. I I think it, it will suffice if they po can impose it on the major cities and on everyone who does business internationally, and and so on. And, and of yeah. course, we're already the answer. Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, it can be done. Uh, yes, it can be imposed. And it seems really clear to me that that is the intention. Um, I think at the end of the day, what what Globocap is looking for, they're looking for us, uh, everyone who, you know, who matters to Globocap to be walking around with our little digital compliance apps in our phones. Yeah, that that we have to show enable to in order to be able to do anything. I think that is the end goal here. And can they do it? Yes, I think they can. Um, you know, will they do it? I, I I don't know. There are a hell of a lot of us who are just not going to play ball no matter what. We're we're already seeing it in not just with respect to Europe, but we see in Nicaragua, where vaccines have arrived mostly from Russia and Cuba, that many people are rushing to the Honduran border and trying to get in in order to get Pfizer because the U.S., as part of its border restrictions, doesn't recognize Sputnik V or the Abdullah. And so there, there are people there who've already been who've taken these um, traditional vector vaccines, trying to get the mRNA vaccines that the U.S. requires, or AstraZeneca, which <laughs> is definitely not the most ideal vaccine. So we see it in the global south as well. Um, I, I guess uh, just because we got to wrap up, what are you going to do with all your columns on the new normal? Are you going to turn them into a book. I don't, I, I would suspect that it would be impossible for you to write a science fiction or satire of the new normal because it's already self so self-satirical and bizarre that nonfiction speaks for itself. Yeah, well, they, 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 ruined, my, they ruined my plan, uh, Max. The, the Zone 23 was supposed to be the first novel of a trilogy you know, sort of working backwards in time, you know, starting in the 27th century or whenever it is. And the second book uh, was, you know, supposed to take place in the age of emergency measures, uh, which you're familiar with if you're reading Zone 23. Um, and the second novel was supposed to take place during a lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't write it now. You know, they ruined it for me. Um, my columns, I collect them uh, uh, basically every couple years. Uh, I've got two volumes of my collected, uh, you know, selected 
uh, essays out already, uh, Trumpocalypse, which was the first one, and uh, The War on Populism was the second one. And I will collect these first two years of uh, New Normal essays, uh, some of them, you know, hopefully the best of them. Um, and I'll put that book out sometime early next year. Um, and there are, uh, you know, there are other people talking to me, so we'll we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, there will definitely be uh, a, a Consent Factory Essays Volume 3, which will be the new normal, and it'll be out in, uh, I don't know, February, March. Great. Well, I'm sure you'll have a lot of time to write it under focused lockdown or to work on it. And uh, we'll, I will definitely want to have you back to talk about it. Um, CJ Hopkins, thank you so much for volunteering so much of your time on the front lines of the new normal, denying the unreal reality as always. Um, this has been an exceptional discussion. And I know that your our last one actually woke a lot of people up who watched it um, based on the feedback I got. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for doing it again, Max. It's good to talk to you again. All right. Take care. You too. Hang in there. You too.